Hey, and welcome to Get Found, our weekly web series on digital marketing, search, and all things interesting in the marketing space. I am joined today by Steve Farnsworth, who I will introduce in a minute. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit about the problem with attribution models for content marketing, um, whether there actually is a problem, and all that fun stuff. So according to CMI, Content Marketing Institute, uh, proving ROI on content marketing efforts is becoming less of a challenge. I'm not actually sure I've heard anybody say that. Um, I think what might be more accurate is that people are investing in content marketing. There's lots of metrics for content marketing um, and that people believe that content marketing actually works. But I don't believe that assigning value and ROI to content um, and all things like that is any less challenging today than it was a year ago. Um, so what does seem to be on the rise is attribution modeling and conversations around it. Um, and attribution modeling, specifically multi-attribution modeling, simply put, is a way to assign credit to various uh, marketing things for their role in creating conversions. And not all models are created equally or accurately. Um, all right, so this week we're gonna talk about some of the challenges associated with attribution models, and let's kick this thing off. So, Steve, two-second introduction about who you are, why you're awesome, and your thoughts on attribution models, because you said you could tell us everything about attribution modeling in this 15-minute segment. So I, the floor knew, is yours. That I knew, that I knew. Uh, Steve Farnsworth, I'm uh, from uh, the Steveology Group, and uh, we do content marketing for uh, high-tech B2B. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Steveology. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things, in terms of attribution models, and all I meant by that comment is, Everyone I've heard talk about this. This is this is a bane. I literally was at a table full of CMOs uh, last uh, Wednesday night, and, and we were talking about attribution models. And I said, you know, I'd love to hear what you guys' thoughts are. And everybody's groaned because they're all they're all just fighting the same thing. So I mean, we had like first touch attribution models for a long time, and last touch attribution models. And there's always most companies who are able to track that are tracking kind of both because there's always some set of people who have. Uh, dog in the fight for late stage stuff, and same is true for early stuff. And so, um, nothing there. I think I think what we're seeing is just kind of a reality is uh, people kind of moving into, um, uh, I think, two kinds of attribution models, and that need to happen is one. I think is multi-touch uh, attribution models, which make a lot of sense. Uh, I think there's some issues regarding about how you uh, weight each of the interactions. And, and I think there's some good reasons for that. Um, also, time decay, uh, multi-touch attribution models, I think, which is just uh, where you're looking at, you, know, you look at the activities, but you weight the latest stage converting activity, the heaviest. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot of uh, use in there. The other one, is, which is, I think, really good is cohort uh, attribution models. Because you can look at cohort attribution models to allow you, if you're looking at, let's say the, the item you were looking at is like uh, when... Um, somebody signed up for your your service in January. How many people uh, maintained, you know, who signed up in, in uh, January, and then how many people signed up in February, kind of going down the list. But across is how many, from month to month, how many of those people are re retained. And that, that kind of analysis you can put to campaigns or um, kinds of, of other kinds of uh, material that you want to measure. But what it allows you to do, at least on a month one, it allows you to look at cost per closed lead. And cost per closed lead is huge. How much can you spend and still make money? So I think that that's, you know, that's kind of where attribution models are. Cohort and multi-touch attribution and time decay is what everyone has to be doing. They may not be doing it yet, but I think that's fundamentally where this, that's the state of the art. Yeah, I mean, so 
one of the things that's crazy with attribution modeling, right, is there are all of these different things and everybody's doing them differently and everybody's calling them different things. Um, so like obviously first touch and last touch, uh, these are actually two of my least favorite ways to do attribution modeling only because it's so presumptuous in its nature of like what actually caused something, right? And some people say, well, like eventually it'll kind of all equal out because like some things will get, you know, last touch when other things were part of it, but then the next time it'll be the other thing, but I'm like, that's, that's wrong. Um, so it's actually funny. So, uh, in Occam's razor, Avinash, uh, points out kind of like what we first need to figure out is what somebody's talking about when they're talking about attribution modeling, because like often they actually don't know what they're referring to when they say attribution modeling. Um, and I like the three categories that he breaks it out into because then with each category, he goes into what types of models kind of are best for each, which I do believe like kind of a custom model is my favorite thing. Um, but the first one is uh, online to store. So this is kind of the attempt to try and understand the offline impact, like brand value, butts and seats, phone calls, things like that, driven by online marketing and advertising directly to a store. So this would be like online campaigns that actually get people to go to um, like a Sprint or, you know, whatever store and actually sign up and activate a phone. Um, then there's across multiple screens. So this would be something like, you know, TV, desktop, tablet, smartphone, like a lot of different things that you may see from different screens. Um, and that is, you know, obviously like a really complex situation. And then uh, the last one would be across digital channels. So this is stuff where we're actually talking about like social display, YouTube, referral, email, search, all these different things, right? So all of these are actually different types of attribution modeling. So like, are we talking about like online, things to offline purchases, offline things to online purchases? Are we looking at like different screens that you may see? And are we looking at different digital channels? The first two are things that are probably not something really relevant to address in the show necessarily. Um, and also are basically impossible, right? Like it's almost impossible, especially on an extended basis to figure out um, everything that somebody would have seen across anything, right? Like that would be assuming that you could like big brotherly track somebody seeing a billboard, somebody seeing like somebody else's TV. Like if, you know, you go over to somebody else's house for the Super Bowl and you're watching their TV and you watch commercials on their TV, like they don't know the difference between you and the actual person you hung out with. So that's a pain, right? Hmm. What we're looking about now, what we're probably most looking at is across digital channels. So how do you assign real credit to each channel? One of the things that I've noticed and I've had conversations with actual brands is people are actually getting multiple credit, right? So like what they've adopted is a model where everybody who contributes along the conversion path gets credit, which means your total sum credit for a single customer or single, um, like let's say cohort equals more than 100%, right? Because <laughs> like a lot of people are taking credit for like a lot of percentages of conversions. Um, what are you seeing kind of in terms of like when people are looking to assign credit, like too much credit being given, not enough credit being given? So, well, it, it depends on, so in a multi-touch attribution model, you tend to like, regardless of the number of touch points, they're not pre, uh, they're not necessarily predefined in terms of the percentage of the value that, that the total percentage of the value is divided up amongst all the, all the points. 
the, the downside of that is you don't necessarily know which ones have the greatest impact. You can see where, where maybe uh, one one item tends to have a better attribution to it. But you know, so that there's a thing called also um, position-based attribution model, which is uh, probably probably makes the most sense for folks. It does have a problem, but uh, it, it's it's basically kind of both time decay and uh, multi-touch uh, attribution model. And so you might get like the very first touch 40%, um, uh, and in the last uh, the last one 20%, and then divide the difference between the ones between. The only problem is you might be giving the very first touch way too much credit. So you don't, it may be a too high a credit. So it's always gonna be a fight about how much credit do you give. I think probably kind of uh, split completely equally probably doesn't make the most sense. Weighting it you know, front and back a little differently does make sense so yeah i mean when we're looking at uh when we're looking at people getting credit for what they're doing um on channels i think that one of the reasons we're all having such a problem and we talked about this last week with account-based marketing um which is we're all instead of working together to say like hey we really care about you know like what's going on with assigning or winning accounts as a whole or like creating these things as a whole what we're concerned with is did I do a good job did my department get this and can we have budget for next year to keep doing more of this and like how do I prove that right so I think that you know if we were looking at it as more of an ecosystem in at which point like everyone can't survive without the other people and like you know even if like let's say that for each customer um, you know, we do use this thing where it's like 40%, 16%, 12%, like 22%, whatever, right? And like get all these numbers together. Even if you said that like, okay, this channel only contributed 12%, if that, if you take that 12% away, there's not a conversion, right? Because like you don't make it to 100%. So like you can't just say that just because something is contributing 12% that it's not important. Um, so I think that that's where I attribution modeling kind of um, hits some snags for me, right? It's, it takes away the idea that even if something only contributes a little, that you still wouldn't have reached the goal line, it, you would have missed the goal by an inch. It, miss it by an inch or miss it by a mile, you miss. Yeah, and part of the, I think one of the things that you kind of floated uh, when, you, when, you, when you first started talking about that is like people like really have different agendas um, in terms of first touch, last touch, often because it's a budget thing, they want either credit for the, the business or they want to fight for budget issues and so they you know there's they have a vested interest in looking at the data and, and none of that data is probably why it's interesting to track and i would ask those questions is not the data i would rely on in terms of attribution models so i think that's a problem i think one of the things that uh john miller uh, co-founder of marketo he actually had a, a an interesting take on the future of marketing and i really agree and it's like uh you know marketo is a, a marketing automation company but what he talked about is that marketing people really should, a greater portion of their salary should be based on the, number, the, the business that's closed, that they should assume a much greater risk-reward place. The thinking is that, not that you don't need salespeople, but if marketing help nurture, truly nurture that, and they are paid and rewarded on closed business, there's a big piece of their thing. Marketing has other things than just closed business it has to do, but closed business is a big part of their, their uh risk reward that that's where marketing should be that they're, they're focused with their eyes on the prize and i've always thought marketing should be about closing business and i can't even believe that to say that uh you know in the past has been kind of well you know 
well, there's so much marketing to do. Well, yeah, but we need to be closing business as one of the first priorities in that line of stuff. Well, so I guess that depends too on like what the organizational structure is as to how complicated uh, a situation like that is, which is like if marketing was responsible for closed business, you probably would get everybody to be more on the same team, right? I mean, I mean, I guess maybe it could lead to even more fighting, but you'd hope that what it would do would really be to band everybody together and be like, we all win, like we all sink or swim as a team here. Uh, the thing that I think is complicated there is it depends on whether um, you have something where people can do direct purchasing, right? So like, can you do, like, can you market to someone um, and then have somebody directly go in and purchase it? Like, okay, Coca-Cola did some marketing and advertising. I went into a 7-Eleven and bought a Coca-Cola um, versus like Oracle where I saw some Oracle stuff. I knew I needed it. I compared and contrasted, but then I had to talk to a salesperson. I had to go through a process. I had to do all these things, right? So, I mean, there are some places where marketing could probably take credit or figure out a way to like be assigned specifically that, but then you're going to end up, I feel like, with a similar battle between what some people will say is marketing and some people would say is advertising. Although I would like to just say that it's probably all one thing because like now we have so much distinction between like paid and organic. Like, do we really need to call those things different things? Well, I mean, I, I think that it does make sense. I mean, I, it, only because it's somebody has to be responsible and I mean, totally responsible for that, that piece. And, and so, um, you know, marketing qualified leads leads that, have been that marketing has decided are, are worthwhile to nurture and try to bring along and incentivize to engage and do that kind of stuff as an MQL marketing qualified lead and sales gets to decide what a sales qualified lead a lead that they feel has a, li a high likelihood of closing and and the only time I think there's a real issue is if, if everyone doesn't have the same conversation agree to the same metrics you know when when is an MQL become an SQL and when will sales openly uh, accept it and what will they do with that once they accept it what will happen and will it go back into the mql pile if they don't close it you know, do you have that process when you, i think if you actually have all the conversations everybody gets to agree it has to be universal everybody has to sign sit down and agree on the same metrics for what becomes an mql to an sql and what happens afterward i think you avoid a lot of that confusion about you know whose is it or, you know what is it, it, it now it becomes like we're really clear about when this is yours and when this is mine and what my responsibilities are so then is the advocacy for marketers to take ownership over not necessarily closed business, but over MQLs generated? Because I think a lot of people are already kind of doing that, right? I mean, I've listened to over the years, a number of sales organizations and marketing organizations fight, fuss, and generally complain about each other. Sales always saying marketing didn't drive enough marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads, like they didn't do enough of their stuff, and marketing complaining that they were being held responsible for um, business closed and revenue and that they handed off tons and tons of leads and that sales just didn't bother to close them. So, but, but, so I, I think that that, uh, I think that happens, but I think that that's, uh, um, it shows that there's a, pro a fundamental problem. And like, first of all, I think that marketing people should be uh, held responsible for closed business. And I think that sales should be uh, held responsible for doing a certain set of things on uh, accepted SQLs. And the reality is that um, Brian Cardin, who is the former uh, CMO for Eloqua, he when he would uh, hand out leads, if they didn't call on him, he would take those leads and give them to one of the junior salespeople. And, and needless to say, the salespeople got really, well, those are my leases. Well, if you're not calling on them in the first 24 hours after I give them to you, 
you, you, you're not going to move on them. And I'm giving this guy who is going to move on them. So I think that you have to have that kind of stuff. And if really marketing saying you're giving us crap, then they really haven't had an MQL SQL conversation because nothing should be getting to them that isn't ready to go that everybody agrees on. So if it's getting over there, there's a breakdown in that process. And I would say to anybody who told me that, I'd say either you haven't done it or you haven't done it seriously or marketing came up with all the, the specs and, and didn't ask sales to be a, a, a major part of that decision. And I think too often that is the case, right? It's like this lack of time spent setting things up, spent digging in and figuring out what are the real parameters, what are we really looking for, and how do we know, right? And are these the right things? Because a lot of times you'll have things that marketing will do, which is like marketers, one of marketers' favorite things to do, which is like cohort analysis or targeted personas or, you know, all these different things where they're like, we have all these audience profiles. I'm like, did you vet these with sales? Like, did you actually ask who these people are? Or like, even better, not just with sales, but with whoever's doing customer retention and customer success. Like, what do successful customers in your organization look like? And how are you going to go after them? And what do those people look like, right? Because this, to me, is kind of one of the things that when we talked about account-based marketing is how you determine what those targeted accounts are even, right? Like, what does a successful account look like? How do you know the difference between people that tend to churn? Um, like, is it your failing or is it that they're really just not a very good match for your organization? Are there specific characteristics of companies that tend to do really well? Um, you know, are you looking at things geographically? Are you looking for certain team makeup? You know, like all these things are really important when you're trying to determine what something looks like. But if you're not talking to the people who actually end up having to close the deal and have these conversations and the people that actually have to be on the phone providing support after this customer is onboarded, then you're missing such a huge chunk that there's yeah. no way you can be doing it well. Yeah, I think I think that the more sales is tied to the um, successes and failures of, excuse me, the more that marketing is tied to sales and successes of, of sales, the better it's always going to be. I think one of the huge things that that is coming down with and comes down with content marketing, and, and I think it's true with uh, kind of the introduction of uh, account-based marketing is that you see that marketing should be involved in sales enablement, which is providing the kinds of content and the tools that help sales succeed most. And usually salespeople know what that is. Marketing can bring a lot, not only create new materials to help accentuate that, but also make sure those materials are available to other people and share successes. And, and also like to look at how do, how do we continue bringing what we're doing right now and onboarding even. So even after somebody's become, a, you know, you've done sales enablement, somebody becomes onboarded, are there, are there things, you know, using the same automated marketing, are there things we can be dripping out, working with, on you know, the customer success people, articles about best practices, you know, maybe send something the first day, two days later, and then every week for six months, whatever, there are all these things that marketing should be doing and should be responsible for. And I think that I've actually talked to a, a CMO just a few weeks ago who's had a bunch of uh, folks who are only um, incentivized on basically creating uh, MQLs fundamentally. It was actually a sales function, uh, but they're actually to create MQLs, which then they can turn into SQLs. And if they, it's marketing actually came to them with a bunch of leads, leads that they had generated from other marketing things. Says, Here are these leads and you can follow it up on. And this team wouldn't follow up on them because they were not incentivized on leads that they didn't generate directly themselves. And it's like those kinds of breakdowns just, and, and, and uh, sales department had no interest in fixing that problem, which is, which is ironic. So they had to give away the leads to partners instead of giving it to their own sales people to close. And so I think when you see those kind of problems, it really shows 
that, that there's a breakdown. Management's not talking to each other, not being tied together by the same goals and metrics. And it's interesting that we see this so frequently, right? I mean, I'd like to, to say that what you just described is the first time I've ever heard anybody have that problem, um, but it's not. It's yeah. the 10 millionth time I've heard somebody yeah. have that problem. And it's why we got into this conversation during ABM, right? Which is like talking about like handing off the baton. It's like the idea is there is no handoff, right? Like we're all kind of running with the baton together forever because like it's account-based marketing and you should technically always be involved with the account. Like you should continue to nurture these people and provide them information and you can should be able to continue to upsell, uh, prevent churn, that involves sales, that involves marketing, that involves continuing education. The problem is somehow along the way we decided, um, you know, and this is a systemic problem in upper management because that's where it starts, is that yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to pit departments against each other and we're going to make them fight it out. And this is the problem. This goes back to the, like at a granular level when we're talking about attribution modeling, um, because like this is like org level attribution modeling, right? Like not even channel related it's just like org level attribution is we've decided that channels and things should compete with each other as opposed to rewarding people for working together which is in my mind the fundamental problem with attribution modeling is that it's not you're not doing the right thing with it right like the idea of attribution modeling is not to say social did more than email and specifically facebook did more than you know youtube and twitter and like email gets this and then now like Facebook gets this. Like that's not the point of the attribution modeling idea. And if that's what you're using it for, you're being a jerk. Um, the idea of the attribution model is you understand how things are working within the ecosystem, where it's most likely that like certain conversions are taking place for certain audiences and then maximizing conversions based on the mix of those things and the types of target audiences you have, like leveraging messaging strategies and channels together across things. Same thing within your organization. Within your organization, the idea is not marketing did this, sales did this, customer success did this, and then like based on those things, somebody gets more money than somebody else. The idea is at what point does everybody play a certain role? How do we maximize each of those roles to close as many customers as possible and keep them here as long as we can not to like assign blame and do things like that. And I think that's where it really came in, right? You have boards, you have like all different kinds of people. And at the end of the day, people don't make numbers or something doesn't go right. And the blame game happens. And that's how we got to this kind of like super dysfunctional system. Yeah. There's a lot of, for all those reasons, I think a lot of people were hesitant to, uh, put, you know, put a stake in the sand because they're afraid they're going to be judged and found wanting. And, and it's really, you know, we're in a, you know, I, I sure get that. I totally understand that especially since historically kind of marketing, you know, when it was a dark art, it's really hard to say, you know, well, how many leads is PR going to close for me? It's like, well, uh, you know, but now we can actually, you know, put a stake in the ground and even just measuring against ourselves. I don't think, I think by and large uh, benchmarks are, are complete BS. Thank you. You know, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but you can benchmark against yourself and say, here's what we're doing. We want to try to push these. We want to try to turn these dials. In the first place, you should always. There are other considerations sometimes, but you know, once you know where all your leads are coming from, and you and you've mapped that out, and it's, it's shocking how many people don't have that already dialed in. It should be your number one priority. Where are leads coming from? What are they costing? Where are they, what are they doing? What's going to happen to to them if they don't close? And you know, when you're doing that, you kind of start saying, where you know, where is the biggest thing, and can I turn that dial up? And that's really what you should be focused on, you know, turning that the biggest dials up and then looking to get, figure out which of those channels are working best and working together.
So true. People love benchmarking, like across all facets of life. People want to benchmark one relationship against another. They want to benchmark their yeah. weight. They want to benchmark their salary. They want to benchmark everything. They don't even want to just compare it to themselves. They want to compare it against everybody else that they yeah. know. I mean, it's it's kind of a dangerous game to play. And I think maybe benchmarking and some of the weird things with that would be a good um, conversation for the future. I do know that we're out of time um, for this week, but uh, we will catch you guys again next week. Um, it is Halloween, so happy Halloween. Um, and I hope that everybody has a good day. Steve, thank you for joining, and I will see awesome. you next week.